mics on? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, thank you, thank you everyone for coming. Really appreciate it. Um, big thanks to Arnold Feeney as well for letting us use this space. And a guy called Ben who helped me set it up as well is like broken his elbow on the day, so he couldn't be here. But um, yeah, so we're not, we're not filming this one as well because um, just because the subject matter is quite sensitive as well and we want like to encourage a bit of audience participation, I think um, it's nice to all, like not be on camera all the time. Um, and then what, what I might try and do as well is for those people who feel a little bit more shy or whatever and don't want to like speak up necessarily, um, I'm going to have the, the Mandan Facebook Messenger um, just open in front of me. So if anyone just wants to like shoot a question or whatever, um, I can ask you to the panel and all of that. Um, big apologies that Will Smith couldn't make it. Like, <laughs> I, I called him, he just, he just wasn't on it. I think uh, he was too nervous. But we've got Vickers here, and he is a beautiful replacement. So what i do now is, yeah, if you lot all just want to say a quick, um, a little bit about yourselves and why this conversation is important to you. Starting with Daniel. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Daniel Edmond. I am a TEDx speaker and former assistant curator for TEDx Bristol. I run my own company called Milk for Tea, which deals with uh, men's masculinity and well-being. And uh, this is, yeah, right along the work, the work that I do. And uh, really thankful to you, Elias, for creating this space for us uh, to speak openly about these issues um, as it pertains to masculinity for men of color. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to being here and looking forward to hearing what you all have to say as well. Uh, hi everyone, my name's uh, Alamo Posey. I'm from Ireland, currently in Bristol studying filmmaking, and I'm also working on a platform to help young artists really find themselves and step out of their comfort zones. And yeah, just I guess I'm a bit scared, I'm not going to lie. A lot of faces in the audience, but it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be cool. Hi, um, my name's Vikas, I'm like Bristol born and bred. Um, at the moment, I'm like a part-time East African and Somali literature um, student. Uh, what brings me here today is I'm particularly interested around conversations concerning masculinity when it comes to men of color, because I think <clears throat> mainstream discourse around masculinity um, really centers around like cisgendered white men. So I think um, the narratives on men of color often get lost in that. So I think it's important that um, we speak, we speak for men of colour, like from first-hand experience. Hello, my name's Vincent Beidou. I am a transmedial producer, so I make films, music, comics, animations and games. Um, been teaching since a very early age as well, mentoring, that sort of stuff. So the reason why I think that this conversation is important for me is just because, um, you know, there's a lot of distractions and a lot of conversations that are continuously going, but this is definitely one of the more fringe conversations where I think that, um, yeah, whereas you can kind of spiral around certain topics, I think this is definitely one that needs to be explored in conversation first so that we can start making some actionable changes, basically. So, yeah, a little bit about the wider conversation is important to me. Um, I, didn't, I didn't actually plan on uh, actually sort of divulging into the conversation about masculinity, but starting this platform um, has kind of led me to do that. Um, and I've learned quite a lot recently. Um, I've done a bit of research on my dissertation. I've been working on uh, something focused on masculinity. So before we like get started with all of this, I just want to read out a little excerpt from my uh, dissertation. And it's, it kind of includes like a mixture of quotes from other people as well. 
but I'll just read it out just so we have it as a bit of a backdrop to this conversation. <clears throat> uh, it is time for men to tell the truth. Sometimes we feel vulnerable and alone. By admitting this, we are not suddenly exposed to a pack of wild alpha males waiting to laugh in our face. In fact, alpha males feel vulnerable and alone too, but patriarchal culture discourages them from being honest about it. As Grayson Perry eloquently argues, men who feel isolated and alone can do harmful things to both themselves and others. The appalling ubiquity of online sexist and racist abuse speaks of lonely, angry men. If we don't teach them emotional literacy, they might well end up living lonely, unhealthy, shorter lives. Substance abuse, violence and porn addiction are all side effects of a patriarchal system that conditions the desire to dominate into the minds of young males from as early as childhood. Essential human needs have been systematically conditioned out of males from childhood in the name of creating better competitors. Men become plagued by feelings of isolation because the systemic enterprise of denied contact, humiliation and name-calling, being ostracised, sexist conditioning, homophobia, competition and training for violence leaves boys more and more on their own. This makes it difficult for us to be our true selves, respect our own emotions, build up closeness with all people. Yeah, so so, bit deep, but um, in the research I've done, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I can list a few very interesting men who have like wrote in quite a lot of detail about this. But the first the the first thing I want to ask you lot, just to kick this whole thing off, is what is your definition of masculinity? Just so everyone knows where we are. Ah, hmm. uh, definition of masculinity. For me, to be honest, is there's there's no static definition. Um, I think that there's a there's like a a scientific physical one, but for me that kind of goes into uh, more more talking about polarities and general things. So there's negative and positive. That doesn't necessarily mean good and evil in the same way that I think that in terms of having I can describe masculine traits that are still intrinsic in women, if you know what I mean. So I think that in terms of the term, um, it does it does fluctuate. So is there is there like do you want the the specific one that is for this. Because, yeah, I suppose for me it's like the what what the what a lot of people associate with masculinity isn't it just isn't necessarily what I would call it. But there definitely is something that I feel um, intrinsic inside of me that I associate with being a male. Um, and yeah, so I think that it's kind of one of those semantic things that possibly, um, possibly just like engaging with that as male traits, maybe negative on my behalf, but as a male, there are certain aspects of my personality that I think come with the gender that I have, other that come from the environment. So um, yeah, I don't know. For me, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a specific definition, to be honest. Yeah, I would probably agree. I think for me, masculinity, I think every, everyone who identifies as male or as a man has to come up with that definition for themselves. Like, I don't think that's it's a one-size-fit-all. I think it's a personal endeavor, and it's, it's, I think as men, you know, I think for me personally, I just endeavor to come up with that definition as I get older and mature <laughs> and be, uh, grow into, I think, manhood. Um, for me personally, I think it's re- I've learned that it's really simple for me. Being a man, what masculinity for me is being responsible being loving, being kind, being caring, being sensitive, uh, opening up to those who I care about, um, 
being, not being afraid to be vulnerable and to show love. Like to me, that's really important for me as a man to be open and honest and, and to just be, yeah, just be in touch with who I am. And like, I think, just, I think that just probably goes for like people in general. But I think as a man, it's just really important to be in touch with who I am. Ask myself the hard questions that, you know, sometimes you're afraid to get the answers back, you know, and because you're afraid of what the answers might be, you know, and it's just about really like knowing yourself. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's what I've learned so far personally. I think the people who I've looked at who have really shown me really good traits of masculinity have been my father, my grandfathers. Um, but I think most of them are family men, family men who, um, who really care about other people. Um, so that's me. And for me personally, I think the idea of masculinity, well, I could, you guys define it perfectly. There really is no specific de definition. Well, for, for each person, it is slightly different. But I guess how I like to view it is that um, on a spiritual level, that we're, we all encompass elements of masculinity and femininity. When you look at it from a scientific perspective, then yes, there is the idea of what it is to be a man. But taking it away from that, I think we're all the exact same. And it's, you basically were on a, it's basically a journey of self-discovery. Of self so, you know, the idea of masculinity will be different for everybody. But then again, it, it comes back to, yeah, I guess it really, it really just is how you, how you define it for yourself personally. But again, I, I see it as really, it's just a makeup of being both masculine and being and feminine too, because it's, it's a trait that we all have in ourselves. So that's me, really, yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah, I hope that helped. Um, <clears throat> At the risk of, risk of repeating anyone, I mean, I think if any of us here gave you guys gave a dictionary definition of masculinity, um, it would to some degree defeat defeat the purpose of this conversation because that's not what we're here for. It's, it's like this isn't a linear conversation of masculinity and how it manifests throughout your life as a man. It's not linear and it's not the same for everyone. And also, I think for myself, I often think about how like quote-unquote movements are started and who the figureheads are for those movements and then who gets lost within those and like, I often think about like, working class men of colour particularly ones men who are faced with poverty and have had no help from any institutions that they've come, come across in their lives I often wonder whether they can literally quite literally afford to have conversations about masculinity or think about identity politics in the way that us four or five guys here can and people in the audience can because to a degree we're privileged. So I guess I often think about how we have to be inclusive within like a movement when it comes to masculinity and work out how to incorporate the very people that we're talking about so that, that they're not lost within the conversation. And I just want to, <clears throat> just because now I've had a little time to think about it, come up with a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, in terms of masculinity, I think for me the, the better word is manhood, because masculinity, um, again, like as we, we spoke about, there's these, these traits that are, uh, are balanced between masculinity and femininity. And obviously, if you're, if you're raising a child, you can, you can be trying to instill masculine traits in them, but it's more for the outcome of getting like a, a specific outcome at manhood. So in terms of like defining the difference between manhood and boyhood, for me, I think it's about selflessness, selfless actions. Um, so 
that's what I would define it as, but then that also doesn't kind of differentiate between women and male behavior, even though I would say it's still a direct definition of how I would define manhood. And just, just quickly, I'm interested, any, do any of you have a response to what that kind of passage I just read out? Because I know I threw in quite a lot of stuff in there. It was a bit. Yeah, that was deep, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not deep. I don't like people say that. It was just good. Comment. It was a good writing, man. Um, to be honest, man, I don't remember everything you said because that was there was a there was a there was a, there was a lot to unpack, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll pass it round during this discussion to everyone in the audience too. Um, yeah. So yeah, the first question I want to ask is um, to you lot is um, about nuances, and I want to I want to be very clear that. Masculinity and, and like manhood and the dangers of um, traditional masculinity, it, it, can, it harms like men of all walks of life, like it can harm men of all races and all cultures and all of that. Um, but what I'm very interested in uh, from you guys is why do you lot think it is important um, to account for racial nuance before all men can come together and discuss masculinity? Ooh, that's a good question. So why do you think it's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'd say the reason why it's important to deal with the, the nuances is just the, the, all the pressures that we're feeling from the society that we're currently dealing with essentially revolve around, like, stress and division. And so I, I would say, like, the first division that they did is the, the sex one. But then straight after that, you've kind of got the racial divisions. So I would say the reason why it's so important to kind of deal with the nuances is because of how entwined they are and how they've, the, the people, or the, the, the system that is in place takes into account that nuance. You know, when, when subliminals are being created or when actions are being deployed, timings of certain things are coming out, those things will be in consideration. Um, the kind of, just like advertising, when they're doing it on the positive side, it's the exact same thing. If anybody's done any form of marketing, all those are the exact categories that you break things down into, sex, age, race, all of those sorts of things. And so when you end up trying to create a, a sense of unity, and I've been in these situations before, where you can have really well-meaning, well-intended people, but if, if, if that gap isn't there, so if people haven't um, gone to the stress of like researching people's histories or people's past, that can be on like an indi individual level of that person who's right in front of you, they've come from another country, do you know what that's like? Or as a whole, then you end up basically falling over the first hurdles because the most kind of obvious tensions and arguments end up manifesting just because of the cultural differences that happen, just like if you're in a different part of town in a club that you're not usually at and you kind of rub up against people even though everyone came to have a good time, the problems just occur. Um, and so, you know, when you've got people who are specifically thinking about those problems that can occur, when you've got people who are specifically saying, all right, cool, what, what can we put on this T-shirt to rile them up? Do you know what I mean? Like, what can we put in this advert to kind of get a, a negative conversation going? If you've already had a conversation with somebody about that nuance. It's like, even though it might sting when it gets brought up again, you just like have a foundation. And so I think just to summarize, I think the reason why it's so important, because that's one of the things that can take it from a reactionary conversation yeah. to an actual build. I was gonna say like, even when I think the standards that have been like, set for men and men 
like white men and like men of color are quite different and even in terms of what we would consider progression as a man or like op- like being more com- outwardly confident in terms of displaying feelings and so forth so often that high profile black men um when they when they're more open and outwardly confident about their feelings is conflated with arrogance and so forth so the kind of standards even when it comes to like quote unquote progression are quite different so those those, those things are also at play and also like as as Vince was saying is that the differences that we have as men of color um and not as not talking that we are a homogenized group i mean there are differences between me as a brown man and these guys as black men or black colorism comes into play and so forth as well but um i think that when you're a white person or a white man it, like vince was saying is really important like is it doesn't it bears repeating but like listening and not being for for want of a better term but her uh, when you're called out on something, even though you know, like, you're well-intentioned, because intentions are all good and well, but when you're used to dealing with what we now call microaggressions, because there's now a language uh, for things like this, um, when you're used to just experiencing those things day in, day out as a man, then that conditions you, and then you, that means naturally you have an armour up and it means that calling people out in it in and of itself becomes quite exhausting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll let somebody else. Um, yeah, I think I think it's important to speak race before you can. I think progress the masculine masculinity uh, conversation uh, for a number of different reasons. I think one is not only is race involved, but uh, especially in the UK. So I grew up in, I was born in Bristol, but I was raised uh, in Washington, DC. So I'm British American. I've had the experience of being a black male in America and in England as well. Um, but especially in the UK, there is also not just a racial divide, but there's usually being a person of color an economical divide as well. And that plays a massive factor also in the experiences that someone has being brought up in this country. As a, as a person of color, a country that was never built for you to exist, and never, a country that was never built for you to prosper, a, never, a country that wasn't built for you to succeed. Um, and so all the progr- prog- progress we have as people of color has come from someone dying, someone protesting, someone getting jailed, someone being hurt, someone being threatened, every right we have as people of color has come at a, from a sacrifice. It hasn't been just the well-intentioned good heart of other people. And so there are a variety of different factors that come into play as a person of color um, in the Western world, I'll say. Um, with that being said, you know, I, I agree with everything that's been said. You know, we've, we've been all speaking, we've been meeting up a few times, and there, there are, you know, um, and I think the majority of us I think as we are now in the UK are in majority white spaces. I think the most of us are, um, or have been at least. Um, so I've been back in the UK for about eight years now. And yeah, the majority of spaces I'm in are majority white. And th- that's a completely contrast to how I was, I was brought up in the States. And so um, you do recognize the differences, you know, and there is an, another layer to being a man when you are a man of color, because not only are you dealing with the effects of not being able to fully express yourself as a man or be sensitive or be, you know, all these different factors that we all face as men. 
and especially here in the UK where suicide is our biggest killer for men for those various reasons. Um, but then you're also worrying about how you're portrayed, you know, even when you're walking down the street, how other people are treating you, the microaggressions, you know, that you have just from walking down the street, the threat that you are to people, um, and just from the color of your skin, you know, and um, this unconscious bias. And I say that because I think unconscious bias is not so unconscious, it's your bias. And once you're aware of it, it's not unconscious anymore. Um, and, and what does that even mean, that unconscious bias? You know, it's, it's a bias nonetheless. So, you know, when you're walking down the street and some people just see black, before they even see you, they just see black. And I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, people, you know, let me check my wallet, let me check this, let me, let me hold my bag, you know, like when you walk down the street and it's all these things that people, I see almost on a daily basis, people engage with how pe men of color, but then what do you think that does to people of color who see that? Because we do see that. And what do you think that says? So by you pulling your bag closer, by you checking your wallet, by you doing that, what you're saying is you are, you are a threat. You are not like me. You are unsafe. And so what that does to us, because again, we are conscious of it, it what, that, what that does to our mental health is different to, I think, someone who is not, from, not a person of color or not a man of color. So there's all these different layers that you have to deal with because race is a big issue still, and it's systematic now, and it's very sophisticated. Um, so, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not one to point the finger at anyone, and I think definitely, yeah, there has been a lot of issues regard well yes there is a lot of issues regarding race but I think it's a lot of it tends to come from old mindsets that we've all been conditioned into you know back years ago race was a was a horrible thing like I grew up in Ireland where there was the likes of you know no dogs no blacks that that kind of racial tension and I think now we're at a time where we're transitioning out of these mindsets the fact that we can all be sat here together shows that there is that change but again because it's a lot more accessible to have these sort of these sort of conversations as a, before um, it, it's a lot more easier to have these sort of, these sort of conversations than before because we have these spaces we have the likes of social media where if something happens you know it's a lot more accessible to people you know we can we have a, we're able to think more for ourselves you know the whole idea of things being subconscious is really coming a lot more into our conscious where you know even people that did have biases previously are really starting to see oh you know if I knew this was an issue I maybe I wouldn't have done it in the first place so even how you mentioned like you know people walking down the street and you know pulling their purses away because this guy's a black person yeah that, that is a real thing but then at the same time I find you know those kind of people not to say that they're bad or anything but they haven't been able to be in the spaces to have the conversations that we're having now because again, it's still quite a recent thing that we're doing today. So maybe the fact that we're here now, give it, say, even five years, less than five years, you know, that, that whole idea of people pulling away their purses is going to be a lot less prevalent because again, it's, a, it's really starting to be more, more expansive to the mind. It's, almost, it's essentially becoming, it's, it's essentially becoming part of the norm to be more open and respectful, you know, it, it, it's a more... Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if I fully agree with that. No? No, okay. I don't. I, um, well, I'm not sure if I do. I'm still working that out. No, that's um, cool. <laughs> please, please challenge me before, before you do yeah. that, I just want to ask as well, just because I like, it's good to always back things up with the examples. Um, 
How do you guys, for example, feel? Do you think you guys maybe internalize um, when you see the hyper masculinity portrayed in hip hop? I don't like take it. I'm not trying to take shots at hip hop, and I like. I don't think we should do that. But how do you? How do you think you lot feel? Do you, do you think that perhaps you, you internalize it? Does it make you feel isolated when you see the the sort of, the sort of hyper masculinity portrayed in? I, I mean, just, just to throw out there, really. yeah. just, just to give context. Yeah, we we weren't laughing at what you were saying. Oh, okay. No, just saying we both want to get in on this. Yeah, um, yeah. All right, all right. Well, because firstly, I would, I mean, I, I don't know if I would call hip hop hyper masculine. Um, I mean, if, if somebody wanted to call it some form of toxic masculinity and that was their phrase, and I don't know what they're talking about, but there's. Again, it is a definition thing, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that hip hop is hyper masculine. I would say, if anything, right now, hip hop is actually quite quote-unquote feminine and if yeah. you want to take it on a stereotypical aspect of my value comes in the accessories and you know what I mean all those things again that's that's a, um, a silly definition as well but um, in terms of how I do internalize like all of these things I think that um, I mean to be fair I know that Sean at Curley's up up there and a very very long time ago um, he taught me how to like See, see media for what it is. Do you know what I mean? Being, being able to see the edits and the cuts. So I think that up until the age of, you know, when I was like eight, nine years old, I think it was all going in um, directly. I do think it was all going in. It was affecting directly how I felt I had to um, be out. As in, born in London, and then I moved to Corsica, so very, very different, but in both of those places, whether you're talking about like the concrete urban jungle or kind of out in the middle of nowhere in, on the side of a mountain, like the hyper-masculinity is definitely very a part um, of both of those societies. So in my mind, I'd gone to two very different places and how men should act, there was like a correlation between it. So there was like a formula being developed in my head and almost like... Um, plans and tactics of how to avoid or deal with situations that was basically like survival tactics do you know what I mean like how to survive in this situation but it wasn't just about like physically surviving the environment it was about what you're saying like internalizing like what it is that I'm meant to be and then like how I how can I get away with actually being myself you know, and the, but then at a certain point when I realised how media worked for me, then I was able to unpick my own brain and be like, oh, that's just that's actually a fictional narrative that I've digested. Mm. Whereas this thing, maybe I do need to explore not, I guess it. Not everyone has that privilege. Though, you're, you've got a very you, you're you're able to do that. Thing is, I, it's only only it's only timing. So like the information that I got 15 years ago, okay, yeah, but that's all pre Google. So like now, anybody could have had the same thought and they could find out what I knew right now. So I do think that it's like, um, it, it had a lot of value, do you know what I mean, what it is, but I do think that in terms of what you were saying, in terms of the changes now, I think that that's a, a very big change. So there is, um, I don't know, I was thinking about it in terms of like the whole people researching who they want to be, yeah. you know, because when I was younger, it, it just wasn't like that. So, um, and when I was first thinking about it, I was thinking about it like it was kind of like a negative thing, like carbon copy, clone plastic people, do you know what I mean? Like, ah, oh, this is who I want to be. Today I'm a skater, what are they like? What's the biggest tune? Go and chat the skater talk, and then tomorrow it's like a grime thing. But then in reality, is there, is it that negative that a young person can go online and like research what will 
what, what the avenues are if they end up being a type of person, because that was the thing when I was younger, that wasn't possible. You just get all of this information on what you should be, and then you're out in the world only getting the reaction from other humans on how you're doing and where you fit into that. So, um, yeah, so I, basically, long story short, I think that I, I'd be interested in what the current experience for like someone who is six years old now, because there's so much information coming from any everywhere, and like you find what you look for, it's like, how does the feedback yeah. loop start? If someone who's only six years old has access to everything, it's almost like the first thing they search in terms of masculinity will probably be like a very, um, will set them on a course, and they're gonna have things like this that might pop up in the feed. So hopefully, hopefully it's a positive outlook. Yeah, like on- Do you remember what you were gonna say, sorry, because I cut you off, or do you wanna- I think that was beautifully said, Vince. Um, and again, basically, from what I took, what I took from what you were saying is basically, it really is down to the individual nowadays to essentially define who it is they want to be. Mm -hmm. And if someone, I guess, decides that they want to have prejudice towards a certain group, then that is down to them. Well, in things like environment, yes, they do have an effect on you. You know, if if your environment is telling you so and so, uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't associate yourself with so and so in person, then you will internalize that. And I guess it. Uh, to kind of combat that, it does come down to having a very strong mental will about you, essentially, to be able to come across that. But for a lot of us now, as you said, for six-year-old kids, you know, they, they will be able to, like, go online and see, okay, is this, is this right, is this wrong? You know, where if you've got a question, you can pull out your phone, go straight onto Google, and you've got the answer right there. But um, going back to what you said about hip-hop, I think the idea of hip-hop, again, it's there's more than one definition to hip-hop and I totally agree yes there have been times in hip-hop where we're where shown that it is hyper-masculine like you personally and that's that's kind of the yeah, question yeah. was personally of you um yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get into that mm -hmm. but I guess the whole idea of the hyper-masculine idea of hip-hop hip is more that's the negative side of that's been thrown out there by mainstream media you know so yeah but for people that look at it from a different perspective, I find you'll see that there actually is a lot of positive in hip-hop. If you look at the likes of the London artists that are coming up now, the likes of, I don't know if people have heard of Santan Dave, where they're speaking about issues that are relevant to us as a culture rather than, oh, you know, I want cars and gold. You know, he's speaking about Grenfell Tower, the likes of Stormzy. You know, he's speaking about his mental health and coming out. So, I don't know, would you still define that as hip-hop being negative or hip-hop being positive? And again, for myself, coming from Ireland, where you know it's, it's still quite a new thing. So there's a lot of I've got a lot of Irish musician friends who are starting to come up now, and they're speaking about you know the issues and the struggles that they've had to face. I growing up in a predominantly white country, where the idea of being a black man in Ireland is still slowly it's it's still a new thing essentially. So the fact that they're being expressive about the issues that they faced would that be a bad thing? You know, when these guys are saying my friend got stabbed in the street it's their situation you know that's that's what they've experienced so for you that hasn't experienced that white male yes that may come across as negative but for them that's real that's their experience so i guess the whole idea of is is hip-hop hyper is it negative in a way is down to the person that looks at it i don't i just wanted to i don't know because i feel like Firstly, I think people are very impressionable. I don't, I don't care like how much access to the internet we have. Like, I think that I think we're all very, very impressionable, and I think the media knows how impressionable, impressionable it is, and that's why 
there's a lot of negative stuff out there. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure I quite buy the, just because we have access to information, we can just find all the conscious and positive stuff for humanity. Yeah, totally, and as um, I said, I'm and, and I also just want to quickly say as well that I'm highlighting, I'm not, I'm not taking shots at hip hop as a whole. And I'm saying if there's a problem with hyper-masculinity hyper in hip hop, it's not necessarily the hip hop artist's fault. They are part of a culture mm -hmm. that, has, that has breeded it and they are part of a culture that's pushed them to that, to that um, extent, right? Yeah. So what I'm, what basically what I'm saying, I don't think that we suddenly um, just, they, they lose culpability basically. Um, but, but, but anyway, what, the kind of point I was trying to say is that as, as personal uh, black males or whatever, there is definitely an element that when the people who are put in high positions um, who look like you, like black males, like for example, you mentioned Santan Dave, he's got a really nice lyric about um, what about the youths that aren't um, athletes or rappers and, and yeah. that's uh, for a lot of young black males that's all we've had to aspire to for a long time so just as it pertains to masculinity I think that's quite an important that's thing to, yeah. to explore so yeah I also, think I, I think like, yeah, like yeah, go. sometimes I think within conversations around masculinity and movements generally speaking we we indulge ourselves in looking at every single aspect of like every single last thing and like breaking it down and analyzing it with hip-hop and men of color say black men listening to hip-hop and how much it's influenced them and how they turn out as men part of me thinks that it's not that deep because what really in my mind affects you as a young man are your material conditions and what you have around you and so often it comes down to like poverty and people, institutions being there for you. And hip hop, in many ways, I mean, there's a notion that hip hop off late, like, like Jay-Z released an album last year where it was very much about him opening up and talking about his feelings and so forth. And then there's this notion that hip hop is now moving forwards. But the, if you, I think it's a really lazy notion because even within like, when in the mid, mid 90s when it was like when gangster rap was at its height and stuff like artists like Mob Deep and DMX were like like aggressively exploring themselves and their minds and what they were going through but because they were not necessarily palatable in the eyes of the media or white media publications it meant that they didn't gain traction in the way that someone like Jay-Z does because Jay-Z is this elder statesman who is um, through business acquisitions and through his um, through the way he presents himself is now this really, really like almost like a noble man within hip hop. So when he does something like that, it gains traction, but it's because he's palatable to the masses in many ways because of the way he's presented himself. But I think people have selective memories when it, come, when it comes to thing, things like that. Hip hop, has, hip hop artists have always been talking about what's going on inside their heads. And Whilst the genre itself, you can say it has certain issues in terms of misogyny and so forth. Sure, it has. And like, like Hollywood, like everything. You know but but then so like does rock music and so yeah, does exactly. Hollywood and so, do, yeah, 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 yeah. so does every other genre. Like increasingly so when we hear about electronic music, like use that as a... Yeah, but my point is, yeah, exactly. But my point is that that's what I'm trying to say about black males is that we like, whereas white males might have a whole... Uh, Variety and avenue of men, like, I, like yeah, yeah. Um, I archetypes of men they can aspire to. For us, it's been very narrow in a lot of the time in mainstream yeah. media. So that's my point, Annette. Yeah, I th so I th could you respond I th to that? Yeah, yeah, I think, 
I think the question highlights a few different things. Um, first off, one, I think we all, I, I think all of us are, are uh, all of us appreciate hip hop, and I, I, you know, it's it's not perfect, nor any any other genre. So I'm not gonna sit here and defame hip hop when we're not up here defaming rock music, when we're not defaming all the other genres of music. Hip hop is arguably one of the most influential mediums in the entire world, potentially the entire history of the last hundred years. Um, if you go to Japan, they're influenced by hip hop. If you go to South Africa, they're inspired by hip hop. If you go to Brazil, they're inspired by hip hop. It's a beautiful thing that, you know, our culture created. So I, I will I will always stand by it. It's not perfect and there are there are some negative aspects to it, of course. Um, preface to what I'm about to say. Um, um, I think hip hop, I think when it comes to masculinity as it pretends to men of color, the reason why hip hop comes up so frequently is because of how it influences how other people view us. Not so much, not always just how we view ourselves. Yeah. It's that, you know, it, it influences how someone walking down the street who does not know me at all thinks I am and thinks that they know the type of music I'm into or think they know, you know, this, you know what I'm thinking. Because I, th I think as a genre, it's really easy to just like ring fence hip hop and say, oh, that's the problem yeah. for black men. It's that solely is a problem, which is, which is, no, no, I wasn't like, yeah, 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 I think yeah, yeah. that it can be easy to fall into that. And I think like, I, I use the term, it's not that deep, but in many ways, I don't think it is. I think people enjoy it because there's a rich heritage of hip hop and like, like black eyes and stuff. But um, if we're talking about things like, in Britain, people talk about like, um, the problems that black men face um, in terms of like let's say violence and like knife crime and so forth I don't necessarily think that stuff's influenced by hip hop mm -hmm. it's influenced like I said once again by material conditions I, I, yeah, I, I agree yeah, I, 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 and so forth so, so let's not like I think it's, it's really easy to like fall on, into yeah, those conversations yeah. yeah. on that I think that's a really good point on that can we segue you can still come back but yeah. The kind of next question is why is it difficult for certain groups of men, and particularly men in color, men of color in like marginalized communities, to perhaps be open and vulnerable and, and meet this kind of progressive masculinity criteria? I think it probably yeah, and it relates back to what we were just talking about. It, it, hip hop highlights a wider issue with how men of color, particularly yeah, men of color are represented in the media full stop, not just in music and not just in hip hop. You know, especially in the British media. You know. Um, again, growing up in the States, you know, I'm used to seeing, for instance, black men who, like, people who look like me as doctors, as lawyers, as professors, as governments, as presidents, as, uh, as athletes, yes, as anything, you know, I'm so used to seeing that, so I don't need to, I never grew up thinking that I couldn't do something or that what, that space wasn't for me. There may not have been a lot of people in that space, and there may be just even one, but I never grew up with the thing, the idea that, you know, I had to be a footballer or I had to be, you know, I knew that I was more than that. Now, I'm, I, you know, we said this, I said this, you know, when we were meeting up earlier, you know, I'm, I'm hyper aware of the privilege that I carry. And to be honest, we all carry a bit of privilege up here on this panel. Um, my experience as a black man is, I understand is different to someone who maybe was born and raised in St. Paul's and Easton. I completely understand that growing up in affluent middle class suburban America, you know, I, so, so I understand that. But at the same time too, that privilege has also helped open my eyes and give me a perspective that I think is quite different to what I've found a lot of people of color, men of color in the UK have. Whereas, you know, you do, you literally in here, you know, you, you turn on the TV and it's like seeing two black anchor men on 
BBC would be is is a thing. Like you know, you're like. Wow, yeah, like, is that, and I'm like, I'm like, who's that name? I'm like, yo, I'm about to, and no, but I seriously do that. You know, like, I'm like, who is that? I'm like, yo, because we out here, like, we're making the progress. Like, but that's how, that's how rare it is. In the States, it's, that's not the case, you know, and the States has a lot of other issues, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's this, it's this very skewed perception. It's, it's almost comical to me. And it's just like, wow, we're still playing gangsters and we're still playing this. Like, that's what people think we are. And it's like... It's, 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 it's laughable, it really is. Um, but the, yeah, I think the media is the bigger issue here. Yeah, and I think um, also like progressive, so-called progressive images of black men, particularly, like not speaking of personal experience, I'm, I'm like a cisgender straight man, but like even queer men of color, at the moment you see like, like certain publications within the UK, like ones that are deemed to be edgy, like ID and, um, a few others of that ilk, and you see on Instagram, like the dominant image images of progressive queer black men of color being like the kind of image of like black men with like flower rings around their neck and so so forth. And I think people often conflate this, conflate the idea of like breaking down um, archaic ideas of masculinity around tenderness and stuff. And whilst that is true for, I imagine, a lot of men, that's not always how it manifests, and that's probably not how it always it's going to manifest for queer men of colour either. Um, so I think, and then you also have to ask that, who's profiting off those images? And like, you often have primarily white photographers who are not, who are not from, even, like, necessarily from working class backgrounds, building their brand of that kind of image. And then I wonder what about queer men of colour who are in their in their rooms and don't fit into the aesthetic. I think things become aestheticized and then become acceptable and they become the dominant image, even for um, what we like, what we say are like, um, um, like marginalized communities and so forth. I think everything gets, things get plucked out and then they become aestheticized. And that, then that means, it means that those things aren't actually inclusive when it comes to people that don't fit into the aesthetic and so forth. And that's indicative of movements like that's like a wider issue within movements, generally speaking, and how people profit off them, I think. So it's got, I just got to say this, because um, on, on this, this hip-hop conversation, um, one you mentioned about how it's the most influential, like, I think they did do a study, and it is, like, the most influential, they're calling it influential culture, that there has been in what we're saying is, like, recorded history. Because, like you said, mm-hmm. you can go into the middle of Korea and they can sing you gin and juice. So yeah, you've got, like... You can go to Stokes Craft and they'll sing you gin and juice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same tone, harmonised. So if you've got the most influential culture, and then this is, this is what... You know, Jeremy busted the last one where it's like, well, yeah, it's all well and good saying it's not that deep, but in reality, like how sound physiologically affects the body, like every single thing of it, you've got the most influential culture and you've got all the effects that sounds make. Like, obviously, it is one of the biggest gearing forces. And like for the last 15 years, it's been if you've got any brand and you want to get to if like any new brand that has been created in the last 15 years will want to target the quote-unquote hip-hop because of the influence that it has. If you can get yourself into that thing, then you're everywhere. If you're talking about headphones or if you're talking about things that may be unrelated, like bottled water, the fact that it has an association with hip-hop will kind of gear yourselves that way. So, again, just to kind of keep the conversation balanced, I don't, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to say that um, it has no effect because I think it, it has a huge effect, but 
in me saying that, I'm not placing any blame yeah, onto it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. just the macrophysical effects of it. So the, the tunes themselves were created from a certain environment, and so it makes more sense to look at the environment in terms of, okay, so if these tunes are affecting these people, like if we're going to talk about masculinity and people's internal image of masculinity, if these tunes are affecting people's internal image of masculinity, what produced those initial internal images in the first place? And then you end up in the scenario when you spoke about who's making money off it. So you've got the internal images that were created from people because of the environments that they were in, i.e. the people creating the content, and then you also have the people who want to influence society in a particular way. And it's that second part which is where I think the... the the negative aspects um, really come into play. Like brand, like brand building? Well, I mean, just, just the idea of, um, okay, cool, you know, I'm a label, my friend runs strip clubs, this year we're promoting strippers of the thing. That's what we're doing. Next year we're doing alcohol, next year we're just going to do crime a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Like, in terms of keywords and a guy that I, you know, my favourite researcher. Harming, harming. Yeah. Yeah. And so when people come from those environments and they're like, cool, this is what I've come through, you get the journey, you get the narrative, you, you get the, 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 the knit and grit of it. Like, more, when, when it's done well, it's entertaining, but you're not thinking this is something that I want to do. Well, Sorry, man. I was just going to say, in terms of your question, in terms of um, why men, was it why men find it hard to speak about their feelings? Yeah, especially um, from marginalised communities. Let's say from, I think that. And also, um, I just will quickly say that if anyone at any point does have questions, do feel free to raise a hand because, like, we are definitely not experts in masculinity. But yeah, I think that you know, in terms of the uh, showing feelings, I definitely like in terms of how that's worded, I. I wouldn't, in, on that subject, draw any correlations on the whole quote-unquote race thing. I would say, you know, yeah. being a black person who's lived in England, I don't know, I, I didn't grow up with white males mm. operating on an emotional balanced level, you know, being yeah, able yeah. to speak their feelings or anything mm. like that. So, so, I think, so in that, you're saying there's almost, there's a, there's a similar, there's, there's an allyship in the sense that actually, perhaps like, I, want, I, I don't like labels, or whatever. Perhaps working class men come I, into that marginalised category would, where it's particularly difficult to be open and vulnerable. I would even say working. Circles, I would yeah. even say working class. I mean, I went. I went cotton. So you know, I was in Stapleton Road. A lot of people from St Paul's, but just as many people from Clifton, um, St Andrews, Redland, and all that sort of stuff. And there was no correlation between these types of men know how to speak about their feelings, and these people don't. So I just think that obviously as we've gone through the conversation where as you started off quite wide, I thought on those levels, yes, like you have to contextualise the whole thing. But as you've kind of got more detail, I think with that particular question, you've kind of hit onto something where it's like now we're at the core of the issue. Yeah. It is just the core of the issue of um, the, like I said, I, I don't know one society that, um, you know, isn't quote unquote of a more indigenous nature that doesn't have on the one hand, a complete, um, just a complete sex, sexist outlook, um, but then also on the other hand, it's almost just a sexist for men, but it's like you get the benefits of the material, but it comes with all of these restrictions. So yeah. I, I th what, I'd what, say, because yeah. it's universal would be my answer. Because it's universal across the world, that's why it's so hard for men to talk about their feelings, because it's like no matter where you go, that will be the consistent. If you can put the hard front up and you know be aggressive and be confident, then you might make it in that particular society. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think for the majority of us, we really are coming out of a 
a patriarchal mindset where the man was always the leader essentially of, of a household, of, of a group. And in being that, you know, you were always told to be strong. And in that sense, you know, you basically couldn't show feelings and emotion. But I guess the idea of black, black males having, um, what, what to call, what, what was it? Masculinity crisis. Masculinity <laughs> crisis, yeah. I think yeah. it's definitely a real thing, but then that goes through all cultures as well. I grew up in a, I grew up in a community where I was the only black kid in my school for five years, and still I'm the only black kid in my entire estate in Ireland. I, I live in literally smack bang in the middle of Ireland, and I guess for me it, it, that was quite that was quite a struggle because I didn't have much around me to relate to. But then in that sense too, it was it, I was able to see how white males had their struggles. Yes, you know there are issues that are that are specific to black men and the are issues that are specific to Asian men but then coming together it's a unifying thing yeah, yeah. There, there, is a uni there is a unifying thing for all of us as well so I, I guess basically what I'm trying to say is what am I trying to say <laughs> um, sorry man you can just, yeah. you can just express yourself it's been a long day and you're free to express yourself um, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think now, now that we've kind of touched on, on race and kind of like men of color, now I think we are starting to get to the point where, yeah, now these are issues that all men face. And, um, you know, I, I work in, in, in the, the men's well-being and masculinity space, and these are issues that every, I, 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 white men, black men, Asian men, men who identify as gay, transgendered men, uh, working class men, middle class men, very wealthy men, businessmen, people at uni, people, everyone is dealing with issues around masculinity and, and opening up and being vulnerable. I don't think that is tied particularly to marginalized groups. Not per se, there may be contributing factors in there. I, I completely agree with that. Um, someone, you know, a, a young guy from St. Paul's at Easton may not have the uh, cultural background that I guess facilitates him opening up as much, but then that could be said for someone who lives in Clifton, you know? I think now we are at the space where this, these are issues that all men face, and now we're talking about male issues and the ideas around masculinity and and I guess the, the question to be posed, I would say, is you know, what what prevents us as men, as a community of men, so as the male community, what is what prevents us from being vulnerable and uh, showing our emotions and being being sensitive? Like, what what stops us? What's preventing us? Should we, should we Sonia, to a couple of questions. Also, yeah. Got one, two. Got someone running around. Or? So I'm going to ask you a question quickly. Do you think that um, like in terms of men not opening up? Do you think that that's more to do with the perception of other men or what men think women will think about them? I, th I think other men, mostly. Mm. I think it's, you know, I think for me growing up, it was always... <laughs> oh, was that open up to the, you were open up to the floor? No, no, no. no I, was I, was I was thinking about it. I didn't have an answer. I, think, I, think, I don't know. I think, I think it's a mix between... It's, it's between you want... you want, you want you like Because you want women to like you and you want, you want to, like, obviously start a family and have a woman, you know. Mm. But it's, at the same time, too, it's kind of... You want the acceptance of your peers. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's and what very, it is. Very interesting point as well, just from what I've been reading as well, is that actually this... What patriarchy is so deep that it actually extends to women as well, and there are some women who will, um, but whether they've been conditioned to or whatever, will actually perpetuate sort of patriarchal masculinity mm -hmm. to some extent. So that's a very interesting point. Mm -hmm. um, should we get questions? I think Sonia had a question. Uh, my name is Sonia. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I just wanted to ask you because that's the okay because that's the reason I'm here on this panel is so I come from a. Polish background, so you can consider questions of privilege, you can consider questions of upbringing, all those things, me as a woman and society and 21st century as well. 
But I think ultimately what I came here for is to get an answer from you, because of course I've been struggling a lot with, you know, like people I date independently of their race as well. The question of vulnerability is still quite up to date and how to open up, how to talk about feelings and emotions. And my question for you would be, what can I, as a, you know, 22-year-old white Polish female, however you want to consider it in whatever categories, support you as whatever race you are, wherever you come from, and whatever age you are, in developing this healthy masculinity of yours to, you know, what, what can I do? Because I know there's a problem, like I'm very much aware of that. I do not know how to solve it. So I guess that's what I came here for today, for you to give me some cues. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and can I just quickly respond to that? What's so deep about you saying that is that, from what I've just read, is that women have done like loads, like, so much, man. <laughs> so, so much. No, I don't think I love you. I don't think women should bear the brunt of that. Like, Honestly, was, oh my gosh. What, what would you say? But is it, this is why I, 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 the fact that she's even said that, like, and yeah, I was just saying. Yeah, I just want to just on that <laughs> before you before you start blushing. Um, it's a very interesting point because in, in my research I've come across people like Bell Hooks and essentially like there are feminists out there who have um, highlighted a lot of issues uh, around masculinity and I feel like actually feminism as a whole speaks to what women have actually done to, to push a, a conversation about masculinity so I think that's one reason why it's so important that men get together and talk about it man. in ourselves while it's, but we need to have women as references do you know what I mean because they've I find actually there's probably something very interesting in the fact that actually from not being a man and having that external perspective possibly allows you to be able to understand the problem a little bit more. So I think, yeah, um, wider reading is crucial uh, for men of, of like feminist writers. And um, one of the things pertaining to the marginalized community, communities is what worries me so much is it's taken me to come to uni to find anything along this. Um, yeah. Kind of lines. Should we go to a couple more questions from the audience? It's got one up there and there was one here. Do you still want to say sure. something? I was or? just going to touch on that bit. Mm. A little more. Like, I was going to say, like, so often when we talk when we talk about toxic masculinity, like, in my mind, so often, more often than not, women bear the brunt of that far more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, in platonic relationships and romantic relationships. So, and I think that, like, there's this notion that sometimes that men are underdeveloped emotionally, but to counter that, I think often, especially within romantic relationships with them, between a man and a female, that men are often, and I speak for myself and from past experience, we're often, when it comes to talking about things, especially when we're called out and stuff, we're often very much aware of our emotions, but choosing not to engage or actively choosing to disengage that's a decision a lot of men make. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily come down to men being emotionally underdeveloped. And I think if you choose to actively disengage from an emotional conversation with your romantic female partner, that's down to you. I'm not sure how much you can expect people to sympathize with you when you're clear about what's going on inside your head, but you choose to just take a step back. And I'm not, I know that's, that, can seem, that seems like a bit of a generalization, but I think there's that at play. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that Whilst we're talking about masculinity, let's not let's not give like ourselves as men a free pass under the guise of masculinity, the ma masculinity yeah. under that conversation. Like even when we were talking about like we were talking about like Jay Z and his album and how he's a high profile example, so I'll, I'll use it. How he like cheated on Beyonce and then he made this album where he was like, um, 
like, sorry, rare, rare, rare. <laughs> he's, had count, he's had countless interviews after, and he's been he's been praised for the progress he's made as a man. He's like, like, like deep, like deep this. You're a middle aged man, and now you come. <laughs> and also, you got caught cheating. It's not that deep. You got caught, and now you're talking about it. And him, I think Dan was telling me, him, Kevin Hart, and. Chris Rock. Chris Rock came together and it was it's corny as fuck. Let's be real. It's and does that say something about how how personal from a personal perspective? I've got a friend in here who's such a big fan of Jay Z. He's probably not going to give me a lift home now. But, uh, <laughs> so if anybody wants to take me home, uh, I think under the guise of masculinity, let's not let men be shit as well. Like, we got to remember that as well. Yeah, I, like, I just want to go on. I, I just want to touch quick uh, quickly on what Sonia said. Um, one, we've got opening up a uh, question from the audience, uh, yeah. opening up to teenage boys as well. How can we yeah. ex- ex- uh, expand on what you Expand, said, yeah. yeah, open up to teenage boys. So, um, one, um, w- women are incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on a panel in front of a bunch of women. Women are honest. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> women are, women are absolutely incredible. You know, the majority of my, um, my friends growing up were, were girls. They always, they, uh, I think they always kind of had been. Um, and, um, I, I always, I think I always admired and really respected women um, from watching my mother um, and just watching the incredible, you know, I was inspired by, you know, Whitney Houston and Princess Diana before I even knew who Jay-Z was. And that's just, that's just me as a person, you know. I, I, uh, I, I think I always had, had that admiration and it's funny that Sonia says that because, you know, I work with uh, different charities and one in particular that deals with male suicide and I have not met one male person that works at that a charity that helps prevent male suicide. And that just speaks to just the compassion and the, the, uh, the, the power and just the absolute just like wonder of women because they are just continually putting themselves forward and trying to help us deal with issues that we, a lot of men can't even deal with themselves. And so one, that I think that just has to be said. And I completely agree with what Vic said, you know, it, you, you don't get a pass just because it's like, oh, he's a man. He doesn't know how to, or, you know, he doesn't know how to express his emotions. Uh, to degree, yes. I think there's there's different things at play there. Yeah. First of all, there's understanding your emo- recognizing your emotions, understanding them, and then articulating them. So it's a process, and a lot of guys don't necessarily have that language or have that intelligence to, I think, act out that that process. But it um, that doesn't mean they should get a pass. But it also mean I think as culturally, a lot of men don't aren't in that space where they can do that. So I think it's it's like don't give them a pass. I yeah, definitely yeah. don't believe in giving them I a pass. I think there's a nuance, and as an extension of that, like I. I've heard. Um, I've, I've, I've just, I've like, I've heard a couple on social media. I've heard a couple of women talking about how. Um, I've heard a couple of women talking about masculinity and how they've kind of just said like, miss me with the conversation around masculinity, as in like I'm not interested. And I think it's important for us to, for us as men, to remember that if you hear a woman saying that, don't get butt hurt and take that person. Just understand that like, women done been having the conversation about men and masculinity for generations. Yeah. Probably before we have. So yeah, if they're exhausted by it and they want to take a step back, don't get but her and be like, oh, you are part of the problem because they are not part of the problem. Like the problem is within men ourselves, I think generally speaking. So I, just I think don't well, let me just get one. Let me get to say one. No, no, because I think I just agree I agree with what everyone's saying and so I won't reiterate it, but hundred and ten percent on all of that raised by women I'm only here because of it but in terms of something that specific like in terms of what you can do one thing that I think is very important is on on an individual level is women being honest about what it is that they find attractive and communicating that with the males around them I know that when you're getting into something romantic it it might not it might be weird in terms of the timing but in terms of all the other males and the reason why I think that is so important is I think we fluctuate um, 
we, we fluctuate between the information that goes inside of our head as a theory and then how we see the environment and the world working practically. So I can be around loads of conscious women who, you know, they say all these really amazing, powerful things, they give me life, but then I also see the reaction when the guy comes through, he looks like he's worth like half a mil. So true, then that's true, gonna that's true. gonna be something true. that goes inside <laughs> of my head and, and it's gonna like um, yeah. change my actions. Whereas if you had like an honest conversation, you were like, oh no, that, that does gas me a bit, but here's where it is on my value scale and who then then I can also internalize that as a young man and say, All right, cool, so it does mean something, but it doesn't mean enough for me to say go and start drug dealing. Now, it, this goes in all other aspects as well. Like, you can talk about the, the physical security that a woman may or may not want from a male. Now, if that is something that does mean something to you, if you don't say anything and then suddenly you get a guy who's nuts and he's crazy and he's just completely, like, mentally not what you want to go for, but then on that aspect he hits and then you've got another young male saying, well, you said all this stuff about this thing, but then he come through and I'm smart enough to know the reason why that that's attractive to you is because of this. So now I'm going to go and do something wayward. So again, everything said beforehand is not your issue. You've been doing stuff for, like, hundreds, hundreds, thousands of years. But if there's something small, it's about being really honest with yourself. And again, it's the same thing when we were defining masculinity. It's not about you defining finding whether everyone should care about money or whether everyone should care about security. But if it's important to you, communicate that to the people, uh, the men around you, because you're in a similar environment, and then at least allow them to make like the conscious choice to be like, I'm going to get a new job and learn Kung Fu. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to some more from the audience, please. Yeah. One yeah. Hello. Um, yeah, a couple of things I wanted to say. So first, in terms of um, black men and feeling, just right now I feel really good and because it's five black men on the panel, I feel involved in this conversation in a way that I normally wouldn't feel, so that's, that's really good. And the second thing is a bit of a plug, but also a direct answer. I think as women, the thing you can do is you can ask that man, have you got a male friend that you could talk to about this? And if you haven't, why not? And leave them to reflect on that. Because if you haven't got a male friend that you could talk about these things with, that kind of shows that our culture is broken and that maybe you need to reflect on your male friendships and start trying to slowly build that friendship and build that bridge. And that's where the shameless plug comes in. So I work in several men's groups, so if anyone wants to speak to me about that, speak to me afterwards. Um, and then the last question that I had is, do you think... So there's this, there's this idea of progressive masculinity that's out there. And, do we, and so I'm going to define that progressive masculinity as a man who does yoga, can cry at the movies, <laughs> and goes to the film. So that, that's a progressive masculinity, which I think isn't as accessible to black men or men of colour because we don't see black men or colour doing that. When we see that, often it's in comedy fashion. If you see a black man with lots of muscles crying in a film, it's comedy. Um, and I think what I'm hearing from the panel is that you think, do you think that's progressive? Is that a progressive masculinity? I don't um, think crying. Let's get let's get let's get um, some more questions and we'll come back. Yeah, okay. we'll do a little. <coughs> we'll that fast. Do just throw it across the room. Smash <laughs> it over there. Oh yeah, um, thanks, thanks for doing this panel and I just wanted to comment on how young everyone is in here which I think is a positive thing first of all. Um, but my, my question was, so when you were defining masculinity you were, you were kind of looking for words that to me meant self-aware and in the future do we even need masculinity as an idea? Do we need to move away from it and is it actually better to then start just thinking about ourselves as people 
rather than these gendered terms. You I got a university that can tell. Someone's been waiting for a while, I think. Hi. Um, so I just really like the themes that you were talking about, uh, about vulnerability specifically, and I've been reading quite a lot about it recently, and then there's this notion that a big barrier to vulnerability is shame. And I really understand feeling that as a white woman, but I just wanted to know how for you guys you have like what your experiences of shame would be and if you do feel like it's a barrier to vulnerability because I think the reason why I wanted to touch on that one is it goes to back to what you were saying at the point I think you were getting at when you first mentioned the hip-hop so for me when I was growing up um, in London I feel like kids there's always something that kids find about people and that's the thing that they try and pick on for me when I was younger it was being smart but because I, I don't know, for me, I was just, I always wanted to be the smartest anyway, so that I just kind of went with it, but that definitely was the thing where there was like a, there was definitely scenarios where I'd feel like, ah, okay, this is, this is where I need to tone it down a little bit, Do you know what I mean, this is where, and it was because of the, the aspect of shame, um, and I think for me, the, the thing that completely dispelled that is when I was got enough information about history to the point of finding out where maths was invented and where science was invented and all of those kind of things and then that's what gave me my intrinsic um, kind of anchor into just not budging from that square because before then you know being a black person in England and then kind of getting this stigma as the smart thing the thing that was associated with it that made it the shameful thing which is that you're acting white that's what the shame was. It wasn't that you're smart and we don't like smart people. It's you're smart and that's a, that's a white thing to do. So, um, yeah, so that's where I completely understand what you were getting at with that hip-hop thing. Because it had, like, I, I went to Washington, D.C. And I, I had a complete spin-out moment when I was in a black club. And I, can't, I was talking to one guy and I said something. And whatever it was, he was like, oh, no, no, no. Everyone in this club is either a lawyer or a doctor. It looked like every other black club I've ever been to, but with Americans. Yeah. I'd never been in that scenario before. Yeah. Like I really soaked that in. I was like, wow, I'm in a black middle class environment. Like this is, it just to me, like, I never even knew that existed. Do you know what I mean? So it'd have been completely different growing up seeing all of those things because then certain things don't make sense. Like you can't say that somebody's acting white for being smart when you're surrounded by loads of smart black people. Yeah. Do you know what I, I think, mean? And I think that plays into the like what it be, means to be a person of color in the UK yeah. and because you don't again you're not seeing that spectrum and breadth of black people mm -hmm. you know the university I went to what all my lecturers all my professors every faculty member and 98% of the population at my university was black crazy you see the you see you, see, you had the emo black kids you had the rocker black kids you had the theater <laughs> black kids you had the jock yeah. black kids you had the nerd black kids you had the yeah. you just the, the way the whole you got the whole spectrum so then coming here and again it, it I consider that a privilege the older I get I consider that more of a privilege but you know it's like now I come to UK and I just see this very narrow spectrum and it's like I gotta be I gotta be mandem or I gotta be a footballer and it's like uh, like that's just not speaking to you know or I gotta really engage with um I have to really engage with grime or I have to really engage with this because that's what it means to be black man in the UK and it's mm. I, I don't subscribe to that and I my, I think my, I just endeavor to like really 
broad help to broaden the breadth of men of color in the UK um, because I have that perspective. And just quickly, I want to just speak on a little bit what you were saying. I think the same thing with you is being smart. Like my thing growing up was being vulnerable and sensitive because I I, I was always more sensitive to a lot of the other guys. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't I didn't really have a problem with that. Other people had a problem with that because they were just like, all right, you're a faggot, you're gay, and all this. And that that highlights the issues of like homophobia within the male community because mm-hmm. it's like as men we never want to be perceived as gay. We never want to be conceived as soft to soft other guys. Yeah, yeah. So we're always trying to. Def- and protect our masculinity at whatever cost and so my whole thing was like all right I'm really in touch with I don't like at seven I was just really in touch with my emotions and really in touch with my feelings again most of my friends were girls so we would just sit down and have chats I would chat to my mom I would chat to my aunt (laughs) seriously I was like seven like making cups of tea with my mom and we would just chat and we was like yo this is what's up and so like I said when I say when I (laughs) when I say I have really good relationships with women I mean I I genuinely mean that both my parents are together I had a dad in the house he's been an absolutely amazing image for me as well but I've always connected with that because at that age guys aren't really that sensitive women are open and talking so for me it was about me being sensitive and I think as now I'm 28 and like my journey has been like getting me to be okay as a man and being sensitive because actually sensitivity is a massive strength and I and I work with men now who are in their 30s and 40s who literally just cannot connect and they're you know and I'm just like wow like it's Again, another privilege that I like, I can connect, and like, I'm not ever gonna fight that. And I think it's this whole thing of like, whether you're, if you're sensitive, then it's like you're crying at the drop of a hat, and it's not that. It's like being sensitive just means being able to connect with other people, man. Like, mm-hmm. one of the biggest blessings I have in my life are the deep connections I have with other people, and I would not have that if I was not as sensitive and vulnerable and kind and caring in person, you know. And like, mm-hmm. all those things that I got made fun of that have put me in a variety of different mental health issues growing up and issues around masculinity. I'm so thankful that I am the way I am. And like now I'm just so proud of it. And so again, it's helping more men to find that freedom. Like you don't have to fit into this box. You can be whoever you want to be and you don't have to act a certain way because of your gender, because of your race, because of whatever. Like you can just be who you are and like just rele- like just right now, just release all of you guys into freedom to be who you are and like just let go of the labels and let go of what all the like society's trying to condition you need to be like. You know, it's okay. And like, it's just all good. And I just want more people to feel like that. My answer is yes to your question. Yeah, dude, that was <laughs> that was beautiful, and I think that's how I try to live my life. This whole idea, basically, there's a thing I follow called a map of consciousness, which basically shows you the different levels that we come in at. So, starting at shame and making its way up to enlightenment, and I think really that yes, we should break these boundaries down. How how you mentioned is will we need to even talk about masculinity in the future? I think not so much have it as a label but more understand the history behind it just as we look back in history and we see you know the impact the Egyptians had how we're all here today as well but be able to step away from these labels and be more collective essentially so I, I definitely think that that's where we should take ourselves yeah. 100% um, there's, I just remembered um, from the last time we did this panel, there was something that was um, in my mind, and it's kind of reflecting on what you were saying about should we just get rid of the masculinity thing? And instinctively, as you said it, I was like, no, Same. just like no, that doesn't to me that doesn't make sense. I've just been thinking like, okay, what is it? So after the last panel we had, the whole definition of masculinity thing came up, and I was thinking about it. And for me, it's almost like okay, so if in my head I'm just going to generalize for everybody, and if we generally say that women have been doing a lot to help men almost all that they can do and if we generally also accept that there is a problem which stems from men and stems from masculinity then 
that space that we're talking about, that's actually what I define as masculinity. Like that change that needs to be made. And that's the reason why I don't think you can lose not only the term masculinity, but in terms of the specifically identifying something that men have to do that women don't have to do. Because if women have already been doing everything they can and there's a change that needs to happen in men, then that, that's what we're gonna have to address. Now, once it's addressed and on the other side of it, I still feel like I would personally still retain the ideas of masculine and feminine. But on the other side of that, I think there's a viable conversation in terms of not really needing it. But I think that um, just like when people talk about quote unquote reverse racism and like the kind of the semantics of going down that route when you try and blanket over as like, oh, everyone can get a, a type of this and everyone. It's the same thing that I think happens when you try and actually take masculinity or take femininity out of the conversation because there is a a physiological base for it so no matter what we choose to call it there's like something physical which is rooted in which will manifest in different ways and i think that obviously what we need to do is concentrate on the negative manifestations of it rather than trying to eradicate it because i think that some of the problems in the extremes come from trying to eradicate it. So I feel like, again, going back to the hip-hop example, I think that actually what you see in quite a lot of recent um, hip-hop acts is a rebellion against having to be masculine. So I think that's actually what you're seeing, and that isn't positive either, you know, the way that it's coming out. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I would say on that, is that um, the... The, the space for progression that men need to take, if you take that as a definition of masculinity, then it's something that needs to be concentrated on rather than ignored. More than anything, I think it's like, it's an attractive notion, like, you know, let's throw masculinity in the scrap heap and like, trust me, in an ideal world, that'd be great, right? Like for all of us men, we wouldn't have to think about it, we wouldn't have to worry about it, like being men. But also I think um, it's just, I just think it's just a notion itself. That's all it is, I think. Like being able to throw something in a scrap heap because we can theorize now and talk about, you know what, let's, for argument's sake, you say that we have thrown it away and masculinity doesn't exist as a concept. When we go back to our day-to-day -day lives, trust me, it exists. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that's always going to be the case. That's not to say things can't move forward and we can't become more self-aware and stuff, but in some form or another, I think, like Vince was saying, it's going to be... It's, it's, it's going to exist and I think it's about looking at things um, from a realistic perspective and not necessarily being like you know let's let's theorize about like what are sometimes fanciful notions like without being disrespectful or anything um, but we're all guilty of that because we want to live in like maybe like almost like alternate realities mm -hmm. where certain things that are deeply problematic inherently problematic don't exist but on, in our day-to-day -day lives like on ground level something like things like masculinity and like like i'm not sure if you can just throw it in a scrap heap like how, how does that even manifest yeah definitely not at all to throw it away i don't think that's even possible mm -hmm. because considering you know the fact that all of us are all from completely different places completely different places so we're all going to have different ideas of what it is to be a man we're all going to have different upbringings different cultures that we're brought up in even though we may be quite similar you know but again that that's where we, we engage in conversation you know we we aim to understand each other's different ideas and perspectives of what it is to be a man what it is to be a, a female and from there we we can break things down you know there, there's always going to be tension between people like if if you even look at the states 
where they're like, oh, these black guys or the police are doing this. You know, it's all different situations for people and it, it does just come down to understanding. But that's where you need to engage in that conversation to break it down. So it may not be as prevalent. It, it, it would always be there, but it won't be as prevalent as it is. There won't be as much negative, negative reaction towards it. I think what yeah. needs... I think um, there's nothing wrong with masculinity at all, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the notion of it. I think I, I've been in, you know, in different discussions where people are like, you know, let's get rid of, you know, femininity, let's get rid of masculinity, and let's just let's just be in this, you know, utopia. glorious utopia <laughs> yeah. of like non-labels. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's the answer, and I don't think that's what we should be really aiming for. I think personally, right now, you know, it's really. I think what needs to happen right now in the male community is more men need to be supporting other men. Mm -hmm. And we really need to come together and we really need to help each other to, I think, understand who we are and, and free each other to be who we are. And like, I think that's what's the best thing we can do for women, the best thing we can do for the LGBTQ plus community, the best thing we can do for everyone outside the male community who's affected by how we act mm -hmm. is to better ourselves. Like, that's it, man. Like, and I think, you know, we, we have all these people who are, who are, you know, trying to help us and support us when we, I think right now, men have got to come together and really support each other. And I think there's a distrust between men in, in the male community. I know, you know, this is something recently, you know, not to plug Marcus's uh, group, but I, <laughs> I've been doing some personal development in one of his groups, man. But one of the things I realized is actually, for a long time, because of how I was brought up and being bullied by mostly guys, actually there's a massive distrust I've built up between other men. So like even on a, a level, it's like I'm cool, but on, there's, there's a deep, a deepness in me that's like I don't trust this guy. I don't, and it's just like you know because I've, I've seen a lot of like how we act with each other and like what we do to each other when we find differences in each other. But I think right now what we have to do is really just start coming together, man, and just stop holding each other to this very narrow perspective of what masculinity is. As an, exe um, as an extension of that, I think it doesn't, and that doesn't necessarily mean in support looks like, like us necessarily always hugging each other and saying, I no, rate, not, no, I rate it's, you. It's, it's, about, it's also about calling well. each other out mm -hmm. when, yeah. we, you, when we're doing shit things. That's you've you've, you've yeah. got to challenge each other, and I think that's what is missing right now. There's not enough men speaking up against the negative aspects of the male community you know yeah, it, it shouldn't take it shouldn't take women to come up you know and saying me too you know i've been sexually harassed i've been like yeah. if if guys don't see that there's an issue with that then that's highlights a, a variety of other issues there and just to, to add on to that i think that like in terms of this coming in and supporting um each other one thing to like not underemphasize is the, the person so say there's somebody who's going through something generally when you're talking about men supporting each other you think of the idea that you have the person who's quote-unquote being victimized and they need a support group around them but in fact um, a couple of days ago literally one of my friends phoned me up he's not in Bristol having a general chit chat about seven minutes into the conversation he's like oh no to be fair I'm actually not doing too well I've been depressed and da -da -da, and he kind of offloaded on me and he'd been doing like a specific thing of like calling his cool friends and telling them that and that's when I realized actually quite a lot of the energy and the emphasis is on you if you feel like you have the issue to put yourself out there because you know a lot of us are lucky enough to have a friend that we can talk about something to and in, like when he phoned me to say that, he knew I wasn't going to take the piss. Yeah. He knew I wasn't going to joke about it, but it was still like an energy and a stretch for him to make that conversation. And it helped him just doing it and hopefully the conversation that we had. So I think that just as much as 
because it's almost like it's still the male superhero mode that we're in, like, oh, yeah, I need to go and support. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. But actually, quite a lot of it is about when you're feeling vulnerable, making sure that you, you take the same advice and then go and seek the support at that moment. Because I know for me, you know, being that I've been, like, teaching people since I was nine years old and that kind of stuff, the supporting side is kind of what comes a bit more natural. But in terms of the talking side, that's just what never happens. You know, but even as my friend was talking to me on the phone, I was like, this is deep, you talking to me, because I feel like I agree with you, but I'm still in the mode of ignoring it because I've got stuff to do this month. Do you know what I mean? So that's kind of what I took from it, is like, yeah, as much as you're thinking about the supporting nature or, or when you're in that vulnerable moment, that's when you'll really be tested, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started a bit late, so we can just run over a little bit. You want uh, two points? <laughs> <laughs> if, that's okay, if that's okay with everyone. Hi. Um, do you think that the suggestion of uh, a strengthening and growth of the male community acts as a double-edged sword in the sense that whilst we're seen to be growing the male community and arguably the male ego, feminism is then being lost in the process because it's the very kind of, um, I don't know, uh, breaking down of the male community that has allowed feminism to, to kind of have the outreach that it's been able to establish over the recent years. And then another point as well, do you want to say something? And just quick show of hands, if anyone else wants to say anything, just so we can like collect a few in a bit, all right. Uh, hi, so I grew up in rural South Devon, which basically equates to, it was very, very rare that I would ever see a face that wasn't white. So I do have that gap in sort of experience interacting with people of other cultures and other racial backgrounds. So coming now to university where I am exposed to that more diverse network of people, I guess my question is what is important to remain aware of and be respectful of when trying to branch out and when trying to support other men of different racial backgrounds of myself? We'll respond to them and then we'll just be ready to get the others if that's okay. With you guys. Um, yeah, um, well, first of all, um, thank you for sharing and thank you for being here. I think, you know, this is, I think the great thing that Mandem and Elias, you've done is help create a space where it's, it's um, a safe space for people to engage and, mm. and to educate themselves and that's what's needed because, yeah, people that come, you know, for instance, someone like yourself who comes from a rural background and you're saying you haven't engaged with a lot of people, uh, people of color, that's okay. That's not, that's not any fault of your own. That's nothing to be ashamed of at all. You know, that's, and you being here, you're trying to educate yourself. So I thank you for just being here. Um, to how, how you can, so the question was how you can further understand or engage with the community or understand the challenges. Yeah. Um, mandemhood.com. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, spaces like this is, is great. Um, I think for me, and, and what, you, what, you're, what you're describing, everyone has to some degree. So just because I'm a person of color doesn't mean that I don't know, you know, I, don't, I, I fully engage with every single aspect of every different race and every different, you know, I'm, I'm very intentional. I know some people may think this is right or wrong, but I'm very intentional sometimes. I'm like, all right, I look, in, I look at my circle of friends, I'm like, all right, not enough Asian people like I need to no I'm straight up some people may think it's wrong and some people may think it's right it's fine I'm like alright well where I'm like okay and I, you know and I don't I don't use them to 
for that. I just like I just let it happen organically. But it's like I'm conscious of like, all right, actually right now I don't have any friends that are close to me that are openly gay. I don't have anyone who's particularly gen- transgendered. I don't have anyone. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I just I just I like I'm the conscious of it. I don't go like, all right, I need to go find my my, my, my Asian friend. I need to go find my I don't I don't. But I'm just like conscious of that. I'm just conscious of it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Because then when I come across those people, I'm like, all right, cool. This is great. This is amazing. Um, because I want to understand more myself. You know, like for instance, Vix, we've been having some very mm-hmm. candid conversations about um, about the differences between the black and Asian community. Because it's like, I, you know, Vix, I've known Vix for almost eight years now. Um, and, you know, it's like, I, I want to understand more about the issues that the Asian community are facing, like what it's like to be an Asian man in the society, in society today. Because right now, how I get treated at the airport and how Vicks get treated at the airport are two completely different experiences. And I'm, I'm, we're still men of color, but we're still experiencing different things. And, and unless I ask him, and unless I, I, I'm intentional about finding out what, what are the challenges that you face as an Asian man? And I actually just said that, I mean, we were speaking this with you, I just said that verbatim. Like, what are the challenges that you face as an Asian man? I think sometimes what we, what we do is like, we have, we may have like, we may be in Bristol, we're around so many different groups of people, but how much are we engaging with them, these people? How much are we asking them, what is it like? What are the challenges that your community faces? And I'm just someone who's very intentional about that. I just ask the questions, and because I want to know so I can better myself, but also be aware of what, what other people are facing. And so, cool. And can we, can we go to the man up there? I'm not, not to neglect your question, I just think about feminism. I think uh, that actually requires a whole discussion. Uh, I think, and I wouldn't want to relegate it to just a quick answer thing, because I think that's a wider issue, and I'm quite keen on making the next event. I think, put simply, though, sometimes men would be better off staying quiet around feminism and not trying to be quote unquote work. Yeah. And also, yeah. stop yeah. trying to be the devil's advocate. If you're going to lead, if your first response is going to be but, then you're the problem. Right. Yeah. Right. Simple as yeah. Like, yeah. And I would say, and I would just say, changes, changes. Yeah, 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 but it's more nuanced. By doing that as well, we can't isolate. Like, there's social conditioning at work here. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the men, like the alt right or whatever you want to call them. Like this Grace and Perry quote is interesting. The appalling ubiquity of online sexism, racist abuse speaks of lonely, angry men. Like at the end of the day, I think that's that's a key thing as well, and that's why I think it's important to not necessarily. Uh, dismiss men who are who are who say suspect things and are negative towards feminism. I think it's about understanding the context behind that and how they've been socialised to think that way. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's just hard work. I think it's hard work having these conversations. But, but the ri- the rise of women doesn't have to be the downfall of men. Yeah, yeah of, course, of course not. And that's why let's let's keep that to like. Yeah, a, yeah. I mean, that's the whole yeah, thing. thing. But yeah. Um, from one two, go first. I think. Um, so obviously you've been talking about in this discussion how um, a lot of women really support the male community in emotional needs. Um, and I've been talking to a lot of male friends recently who've been saying that they can have very emotionally articulate conversations with their female friends. Um, but when it comes to having those conversations with their male friends, they still really struggle. And it's like you were saying, you still feel those barriers of communication mm-hmm. with your male friends, even though you know that you have this very emotionally articulate response to your own emotions. Um, and I guess my question is, what do you think we can do, because it's a systemic problem, uh, to help young men find ways so that as they grow up into being adult men, to not feel those barriers anymore? Just on the super quick one, just to go, I just think it's, it's the similar answer that I gave before, because I think that um, in a lot of different things, it's always very easy to kind of theorise what either your future self or what other people should do around someone. So in terms of that, I think it's just about, so if you're talking about a you and a certain group, it's about just making 
the males in those individual groups participate in the behaviour that you think is productive. Because what you're like I'm talking about me as an example, it's easy for me to explain how something should be, and then for me, in terms of this issue, I'll just go and work off all my emotions, days, weeks on end, and never, never really deal with it. So that's, that's what I would say. It's like your, your male friend who you're talking to in that circumstance, further that conversation to the point where he takes that action with another particular male and then in that way you've done something directly to somebody that you care about but then the main thing is is that a point when a younger generation sees that as a norm they'll get a different programming so no matter what happens we're going to feel the grind and the friction and it's and it's going to be weird but i think the only real cure is creating a new foundation like you were saying in terms of the examples like when young men see loads of different options then they pick and then they'll do with what feels intrinsically right which you know i i can't imagine um yeah all, all of the pressures that we've currently dealing with they're, they're not very natural they're just they just make sense in reality so that's why i'd say i um sorry i mean thank you so much i think it's such a brilliant panel like great to see some people kind of like really engaging in the conversation um, I don't mean to speculate on anyone on the panel's sexuality, like, but it has seemed, and as no slight, like, it's a very heteronormative conversation in some senses. Um, and like, again, like, not not to slight you at all. Like, I just wondered, given that, like, from my own experiences, there's been a lot of queer communities. Um, the way in which masculinity is often shaped is, in a way, kind of through homosocialization. So, like, your relations to other men. Um, and, I, and particularly, like, when you look at a lot of queer communities, there is a lot of racism and a lot of sexism. It's still contained within it. So you have, you know, people will say, well, you know, in the same sense that you had, like, no blacks, no Irish, and dogs, people will be very much like no femmes, um, you know, like, uh, like, and very, like, you know, white people only. And they have this very specific kind of version of what they see as attractive masculinity. I don't know if you had any thoughts on how we can, like, within, you know, like, within queer spaces and within things, like, really begin to challenge the kind of the... The anti-feminine, like the anti-feminization narrative, as well as the racialized narrative, because you have this very sort of like congratulatory masculinity, which forms itself around a, an idea of like the idealized certain form of like of man, which is in in terms of sexual desire is one thing, but at the same time is like is a, is, is 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 on a, a double-edged sword of like is anti-women and then further like is you know is, is anti-people of color. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, as a heterosexual man, as a cisgender heterosexual man, is um, for me so much it's not so much that I don't want to speak about the queer community, or is just that I'm not representative of it, and I don't feel like I'm necessarily qualified to make any real statements with a great deal of conviction but I'm open to listening. And I understand that this conversation has been quite heteronormative, I think. And I've, from what I've gathered, speaking, knowing these guys, that I don't think it's necessarily because, I don't think it's because we're reluctant to have that conversation about the queer community. It's just that none of us may feel particularly qualified to have that conversation. And, but that's not to say it's not important. And I think like, for us guys as panelists, and, Elias running the panel is always something that you take on board and you, know, you, like, you keep it moving for like the next panel that you do and may, maybe you get somebody on the panel that is more, more representative of that community mm -hmm. so that kind of dialogue can be opened up but I'd be reluctant to necessarily comment on that mm -hmm. but like but I didn't comment on about how like queer men of colour are like asceticised and how their images like kind of like circulated and 
people build their brands off it and stuff. And I understand, I've spoken to like friends are in queer communities and how like racism is a huge problem and stuff. Um, so I think I think some of what he's I think some of what you're talking about, even though I don't think any of us are qualified yeah, in it, you know to speak on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community, not being a part of it, but. Um, I think some of what you're talking about is just masculinity as a whole as well, though, from what I'm, from what I'm gathering. And, and um, again, this is what goes back to like having, having people in your circle. You know, I, I live with a 13-year-old gay uh, boy and, and his family. And, um, and again, just speaking to more people within the LGBTQ plus community is really important. And I just tell everyone out there, it's really important to speak to different people about the issues that they face because that's how we gain understanding. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think what, what you're talking about is, yeah, it's true. It's like... Uh, we have to let. I think to. Uh, I think what we have to do is we have to let go of this. This these boxes of like, all right, if you're a man, you can act like this. You can act like this. You can act like this, and it be okay. And then these other boxes is like, you're going to be labeled a faggot. You're going to be labeled gay. Whether you are or not doesn't matter. You're just going to be labeled these things. Um, and we just have to again. It's it's about just freeing men up. And I think men and women have to do this. We all have to do this. And or however you identify, we've got to free men up to be who they are. Like, and I think until we do that, we're always going to run into this thing of like masculine and feminine. He's too feminine. He's too masculine. He, it's like that whole thing. And so, um, I, I mean, you just you have to. I think just let that. We have to start letting that go. But again. Even heterosexual men, we've got to let that go for each other. So it's like just because a guy's acting a certain way, we can't just be labeling him as gay just because over 60% of gay men experience suicidal thoughts and depression in this country right now. Mm -hmm. So that highlights a massive issue of right now, it's still a negative, in my opinion, as a society to be gay. And I think we can all say it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a great thing and all the companies want to change their flags to the gay flag when it comes down to pride and everything like that. But still, the reality is, it's still viewed as a very negative thing in a lot of communities. And so, until we start opening up these conversations and to start allowing, you know, men and women and however you identify to be who you are and to really engage with these communities and actually understand what the challenges are, as the gentleman is shedding some light on, we're always going to be back at square one. It's the same thing with race. As as we speak about communities as well, I think, I find we've all been speaking about communities and using the word community, me included, and I think within that, like, it's careful not, we've got to be careful to remember that. Like no community, so to speak, is a homogenized group of people, mm-hmm. really. And you've got to take into account the complex complexity and nuance of it, of of experience within that. Um, so I'm repeatedly said the queer community, and as I was thinking, I was like, that is me homogenizing that community because well, there's a great deal of co- complexities, like. Within I mean, so intersections. It's like it's, it's yeah, like you're all bl- very intersectional. It's your black, you're gay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're feminine. You're, it's like all these different things, you know. Yeah. That and matter. just just to egg, like this is going to be the similar point that Dom made last time and beforehand because I think like in terms of that conversation when you're talking about you know the LBGTs and then the the black communities and masculinity again completely underqualified and I'd, it'd be nice um, to have it bounce back. But for me, yeah. something that I've been made aware of is that especially when it comes to defining. Um, sure how black masculine people act say within Caribbean communities or Africa there's this notion that we're kind of x times more homophobic and that you know and this all comes down to how we see masculinity and those sorts of things so I would say that um, yeah it's more of what you're saying the roots of the definitions because like you said that the label from what I've seen 
the, the negative label that a gay person would get in terms of other men defining the masculinities in the areas that I grew up are the exact same labels that somebody who's not gay would have got yeah. for displaying the same traits. Yeah. So it's like, are we talking about the traits that somebody dis displays in terms of their balance of masculine or femininity or the actual act of being gay? And so that's the thing. The actual act of being gay is something that I can't speak on. But in terms of the act of people being judged by how they act, it comes back to the same issue, that whether you were gay or not, if you acted in that certain way, that's when you get pressure, which is why I know road people who were gay who were still out and about, because in terms of the other masculine things, you know, the violence, and the, they, they still participated yeah. in that. Which, so therefore it was okay. So the root of the problem is still there, even though they are technically a gay person thriving in an environment that other people would think was pretty hard to. So is this? So is that not an attack on femininity? Like, because I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I have, I have, yeah. I have a notion. I have a notion, and I don't know how true this is, and how people may agree, people may not agree. But I think in a lot of cases, as men, we're actually taught to hate women in a lot of in a lot of different spaces, yeah. in a lot of different ways, yeah. because we have this thing about like really holding on to this idea of this really like narrative slim I think narrative of masculinity and anything outside of that we just we want to attack so much so mm -hmm. are we why are we attacking feminine attributes so much like why cool, is that such cool. a big I think, master plan yeah, yeah no, I hear what you're saying um, yeah. yeah I think what you're saying about um, homophobia and stuff I think yeah I think as you as you unpick patriarchy and and you look, you look further into it, you, you kind of begin to understand how things like homophobia are kind of a natural result of it. And I think, as we've all discussed, I think the intersectionality is very important to understand how patriarchy is tied in with capitalism, it's tied in with racism, it's tied, it's tied in with everything. And I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely not an easy task deconstructing these things, but I think it's very important that we do so. Um, so thank you all very much. <laughs> I was just going to be like, I think if anything, we definitely need to take a more emotionally intelligent, a more emotionally intelligent stance to one another in terms of understanding, because in that way, I find that's where discussions are going to be a lot more easier to be had. You know, so again, for my growing up, where I never really had this sense of belonging because I was always the only black kid. Well, I never actually viewed myself as a black kid. I was just a person. So in that sense, I, you know, I, I experimented with different things to understand, okay, is this who I am? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Because I never had any real idea. So I, I've been with guys, I've been with girls. And it's like from there again, it's always down to, if you really want to know something, it really is just down to asking. So as you said, you know, the fact that you're from rural Devon and you don't have the you wouldn't really know what to say to a black person or to a person of color. I guess it really is just down to asking what it is that you'd like to know. And to be honest, it, it's always gonna go back to them if they're willing to answer that question. How open, how willing are they to be open to you? You know, so it, it's always a two-way conversation. Yeah, we can be like, oh, this dude said this, so that means he's a racist. But if that black person say reacts in a negative way, yes, I can understand, you know, there's a lot of issues that we've gone through systematically as well. That, would, that does make it a lot harder for us to answer these sort of questions, but it, it really is down to how willing and open you are to engaging in these sort of talks and these sort of conversations. So cool. again, and that's why yeah. I say emotional intelligence. If you can see that they're being riled up, I guess it's down to you again to change your approach. There's always a way to work around people, but again, it really is just down to understanding 
trying to put yourself in their shoes as well as being able to take yourself out of it too and say, okay, look, this is how this thing works and that's how it should go. Cool. And what we'll yeah. do is I'll, I'll put like the emails of these guys up as well yeah. so everyone can like keep it going and whatever. And we'll try and do another event very soon. But can I say a big thank you to Arnold Feeney because we thank the panel as well. And um, and just yeah yeah and just uh, and just and just a massive big thanks to Elias man you yeah, doing an amazing thing so so good. Yeah, yeah, feel free to come chat to us or whatever. We'll be hanging around a little bit, I imagine.